Welcome to the Youth Voice, a politics podcast giving young people a voice in politics across the island of Ireland. Today we're joined by James Mayne and Matthew Spears from the Beyond NI podcast. So welcome to the show, guys. Very happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for inviting us. I was on your show uh, a couple of months ago, which and it was really great. So thanks for coming on mine. Uh, But I suppose we'll get straight in. I suppose... Why don't you actually tell our listeners a bit more about Beyond NI? What's you know what's the purpose? Where's the what does the idea come from? Um, not to be cynical, but Beyond NI came about for me having a mental breakdown uh, <laughs> one night because I didn't know what I was doing with my life. So it it was sort of you know trying to be sort of entrepreneurial with politics in this part of the world, and. Uh, I thought, well, he's a bigger geek than me when it comes to politics to help. So I got Matt on board and it's been a beautiful partnership ever since. But in terms of like the, the data side of it, I think Matt's better really explaining that element because he really took charge there. Um, yeah, so uh, I think our kind of first like project with it and the kind of thing which we did before we kind of even approached doing the website was doing like kind of a, a right, left kind of analysis of the political parties here. Um, and that's kind of just what we focused on for a while. And then that kind of led on to our idea of, well, why don't we make just a, a website that kind of focuses just pure, well, not purely, but that focuses on like kind of policy stuff. It kind of focuses on Northern Irish policy, what you could do better, what uh, right, left politics kind of is in Northern Ireland, uh, because I don't feel like people always know that very well. And that's kind of what it just became, I guess, uh, unless James has anything else to say about it. Yeah, it was just a really funny ad. Like, I think on a basic level, people in this part of the world, you know, the North, Northern Ireland, whatever you would like to call it, people have a very basic understanding of, well, this party is, you know, nationalist or unionist, so that's why I vote for them. But when you break down, like, okay, then what's the economic policy of, let's say, the DUP or Sinn Féin? People then start to be like, oh, I don't really know. And especially when you break down society into class or gender this is where you start maybe to see how the unionism nationalism or other sort of carve up doesn't really you know solve a lot of the political problems and a lot of people are stigmatized from the political process so for us it was trying to highlight you know what do these parties actually think and also analyze it on a different political you know line so it's just trying to get that information out there and make it more clear Brilliant. I know I'm flicking through the website. It's been a source for loads of my information now <laughs> for, you know, all of my interviews. I just kind of flicked through and, oh, that's true. I'll use that. But I suppose one of the things I also want to say, we've seen Beyond NI. What about Beyond ROI or Beyond UK or Beyond US? Are we ever going to say something like that? I think, uh, I mean, I think it's possible. I think we have talked about it in the past. I think at the moment we're very focused on, like, just getting our audience here and trying to figure out like how to build it out properly and do the kind of behind the scenes stuff from Northern Ireland right now then I think in the future I think there's definitely like us kind of thinking about even doing other possible societies that are kind of similar to Northern Ireland who maybe are divided in very uh deep ways uh but yeah I know that James probably wants to be on Kosovo but we'll have to see if that's possible (laughs) yeah for anybody who's never heard of this strange country in the middle of the Balkans it's a I went there on like an international summer academy. Uh, I was selected to be like one of the people representing uh, here. And uh, it was essentially if you took 
Northern Ireland and placed it in the middle of the Balkans and everybody was Albanian and Serbian with different flags flying. Um, so yeah, in terms of the, the start of your question about if we're ever going to see it beyond ROI, beyond Ireland, beyond UK, I think it's definitely on the cards, but we sort of need more people. Um, it's only me and Matt running this. Both of us have full-time jobs. I'm exhausted. Matt's even more exhausted. So yeah, if we get more people on board, we're definitely going to expand and just keep doing our version of analysis and decent reporting uh, that hopefully breaks through the, the media fatigue people are having with a lot of their news sources. Brilliant. Uh, I suppose I actually want to kind of get into your actual analytical stuff. So, you know, one of the things that I noticed, I was just flicking through earlier, was how BSDLP would fall further left than Sinn Féin. And I find that interesting because, you know, whereas the SDLP might market themselves as social democratic, Sinn Féin considers themselves quite hard socialists. So I was kind of interested in actually seeing, you know, where did that kind of come from, you know, rather than the kind of idea that the Shinners would be kind of quite hard left and then the SDLP would be more centre? I think from a historical context, you would have been right in that analysis. And to some degree still are. But from what our findings were, especially when it came to voting history and how uh, mandatory coalition works, you have to see the likes of Sinn Féin working with the, the right-wing DUP. So concessions have to be made there. And a lot of our analysis was from 2011 onwards. So you have to remember then also there was a time when there was no... That was the first time Stormont had an opposition government with the UUP alliance and SDLP pulling out. So that bit of freedom allows the likes of the SDLP to maybe critique the Sinn Féin DUP partnership in a more leftist way. In terms of the political theory aspect when it comes to the manifestos, for Sinn Féin stating themselves as a socialist party, they do not mention socialism once in their manifesto. They do not mention Marxism once. It is only on the fringe of their imagery that you will see it. And even then, I would question within their own base, not maybe members, but voters, are they even left wing, especially when we talk about elements of nationalism. And I, uh, and I mean that in the nicest way possible of once you take yourself away from this island and the ideologue and history of Irish nationalism and just nationalism in general that we're seeing in quite a bit in Western Europe. I wonder if there's a certain right wing connotation to a stronger island, which rejects the ideas of, you know, Marxism. And, you know, we're, we're seeing that already with some groups, like look at Antu, all of a sudden that are popping up. I wouldn't be surprised. That's why SDLP come out slightly more left on our scale. Doesn't always mean that they will be to the left of Sinn Féin on every issue, but this is just a rough, not a perfect metric that we're using. Matt, do you feel like you want to add anything there? Yeah, I guess. I think one of the things that I would say is now with Sinn Féin's size, the size that they are in terms of uh, how many MLAs they have, how many, uh, how wide of a supporter base they can tend to have. I think then, and in, in the ways that they approach elections and the way they now approach voting, it's very different to the way it used to be, where now they want to win. They're, you know, they're, they have a massive focus on winning, camp, winning campaigns, winning elections, winning um winning it on both sides of the border. So I don't think they can be as left-wing as they used to be. I just don't think that's possible. Um, if you want to be as big a party as they want to be. Um, 
and they their first goal and we all know their first goal is not to be a left-wing party their first goal is to be a nationalist party which i don't think is very controversial to say so uh, i think for them leaving behind some of the left-wing ideas is fine as long as it builds towards their goal of building up a nationalist position um and then whenever i look at the sdlp i see a party who's a wee bit freer who can kind of decide for themselves we have more with their their ideology is um and even though i don't think like i think you have to look at our analysis and understand it's not like this applies 100 percent of the time but i think that yeah the sdlp just have like a freedom that the Sinn Féin doesn't have right now in terms of ideology possibly and maybe if we see the sdlp getting more voters you might see that this trend of centrism go back yeah. we actually had uh Oshin Donnelly on the other day and he put it really well that for years the SDLP was sort of the broad church for nationalism in the north and henceforth had to incorporate a lot of ideas but then if you look at the likes of John Hume and all like there's some very very socialistic ideas in there and obviously being the, the Labour Party's base in the north for years you can still see that to a degree so history can only well uh, or not history the future will only tell which way both those parties will go Absolutely. I suppose another kind of interesting view on that is as well, whenever you look at the, the, the unionist nationalist divide, you will see an almost a trend where unionism kind of shoots to the right, whereas nationalism is quite on the left. You know, one reason I'd seen kind of put forward for this was the idea that unionism is, has its roots, roots steeped in imperialism, which is by effect right wing and cannot kind of is not compatible with left-wing ideology but is that is that something you'd agree with in terms of that um i think that is definitely a factor in it i think that is a key factor i think but in terms of unionism i would also say that they have the if we just even look historically i think you have to look at it as them coming from the possession of power the possession of stability the possession of a basically wanting to conserve something. They want to conserve the union. And they also want to keep things the way they are um, to some degree. And that's kind of the way that a conservative ideology works because you want to conserve, you want to keep things the way they are. You want to keep um, the union and the unionist case, but and obviously in the UK, it's keeping society. For, let's say like a conservative stance in the UK is, I want to keep society the same way by making small changes just so we can keep on going. And Northern Ireland conservatism would be, we want to keep the union. So that's, I think, why they have like a, a shift towards the right. And actually, I mean, unionism has deep roots with the Conservative Party in the UK as well. So they're both right. So I think a right wing trend of ideas happens there where they just exchange like some kind of kinship in the past. Um, I don't know if James has any other takes on that. but Yeah, I think um, from a personal standpoint, the the ideology of the, the thinking of left-wing unionism is something I thought about for, God, I think this obsession started five, maybe six years ago. So it's one I, I've thought deeply on and I've came to a few conclusions in my time on it. Um, number one, I think you are right. Historically, it has been more conservative in nature. But I think that's when you just look at it solely from a, a unionist standpoint and nothing about the other matters of society. Um, so if you look then at maybe class workings within Belfast and the Dockers from the 1920s onwards, 
you do see strong labour movements within the Protestant workforce, who you would, you know, let's be real, most likely be unionist in their outlook. And then what I, I see the problem with unionism now with their parties is what Matt said. They, they want stability. They want things to be the way they are. They want the status quo is what I'm trying to say. So of course you're going to be slightly more conservative in that mindset. But then I think for modern unionists and especially for younger people of our generation, you know, we're the first generation to grow up properly with the internet by our side so millennials and younger so we're seeing a lot more international news we're beyond the troubles we're looking at better parts of the world and thinking why can't we be like that and i wouldn't be surprised and i know some alliance people might call me out for this if a significant portion of their base is of a unionist mindset but left wing in their outlook and i think simply to call all unionists right wing and I understand because the UUP are, you know, centristic with a bit of right and a bit of left. DUP and TUV both hard right. Um, I would say that simplification is fair enough, but once you dig deeper, it's it's too much of a broad house. Yeah. You know, you have the you have the likes of the PUP and David Irvine and Billy Hutchinson, who show very much lefty sort of rights and socialism and everything, but they just want to see socialism within the UK. Yeah. You know, so that that's that's my take on. I, I probably missed out a point or two, but yeah, I think yeah, I think that's a good point. I think in terms of like the the left wing aspect with the nationalism, I think you're you're looking at. I think you would have to go back to again. I'm being probably the boring dude who talks about history, but <laughs> here we are. Um, I think I, I would say that you'd have to look at where the idea of revolution comes from in terms of like political ideology. It's like it's a Marxist idea, or in general, whenever you're looking back to whenever the kind of Irish Revolution is happening. Uh, it's obviously Marxist. It's thinking of, you know, needing to change the world in a very drastic way. So I think you then obviously just through kind of like the way that then you're socialized and the way that, you know, you kind of view history, I think that nationalism obviously does have, or Irish nationalism obviously does have such strong roots to the revolution. That also means that it has such strong roots then to also uh, an ideology, which is, indefinitely left-wing um but but i think that that also can be a little bit reductive because I, I, I you know it's as it's 100 said about, years from partition so yeah things things change yeah um yeah i think uh i don't know if you just want to keep us <laughs> let, let me let us keep on talking because i gotta go all day but <laughs> go for it <laughs> <laughs> i think that uh i think whenever then you have to deal with like why we have such like a strong divide i think you have to look at two things i think the conflict radicalizes politics i think any form of contact co conflict will radicalize you in terms of your political view especially whenever it's with people who are so close you have to live so close with and then you have the divide like whenever you don't have the chance to even talk to people of another community the idea is you don't get to like shift your ideas you don't get to talk to people about other political ideologies and then you kind of get you get surrounded in your own echo chambers. I know that we talk about kind of digital echo chambers. Northern Ireland effectively has or had physical echo chambers for an awful long time in terms of political ideologies where ideas weren't very easy to go across community lines. So I think we all just got to build into our own wee ecosystems. Um, I think only now, kind of in the past like two decades, have we seen more ability to kind of have a little bit more diversity and a wee bit more interchange between communities of ideas possibly. 
Absolutely. Uh, I suppose I actually want to draw on something you said, James, the kind of the alliance, unionism kind of idea. And I suppose it is it is something I've seen myself, you know, just kind of talking to alliance voters where many of them would be either quite quiet unionists, they'd be small unionists and kind of this idea of united community. But there is also the idea, especially prevalent in kind of Republican nationalist communities, that alliance by default is a unionist party because of the fact that it, I suppose, achieves the status quo and it wants to make Northern Ireland work and make Northern Ireland work within the United Kingdom. So one, do you actually hear your thoughts on that idea or is Alliance actually that kind of broad church that takes in everybody? I don't know if I would specifically state Alliance as a unionist party. I can understand why nationalists would say that though, because if you look at the history of Alliance, essentially they were born out of being the left-wing group of the UUP and if you look at some of their early election material it's very much you know without Britain we're sunk sort of thing it's only been uh, from the 90s onwards I believe where this other sort of branding has came about I think for unionists this is this is this is a great thing about alliance is that when they're being attacked by both sides it strengthens their argument you know we're the uniters we keep everybody in and going but I think the real testing point for Alliance on a unionist to nationalist scale is if the border poll ever comes, is how does it manage that? Um, we will see the early onsets of that maybe from next year at the 2022 storming elections. Because if, if we go by what polls are saying, and this is more hypothetical talk, I'm not saying the polls are correct, is Alliance would be bigger than the DUP, right? So will we then have a nationalist and other you know, makeup of Stormont when it comes to the executive and the ruling first minister and deputy first minister. And I think you're going to have to make some very, very tough calls there. And I think you would alienate some voters either way. Um, and I think the other problem and greatest asset to the alliance is in mixed communities where nationalist voters know they can't outright vote for a nationalist so they vote alliance because it's not a unionist party. And then for unionists, you know, the same, vice versa. So I think, Matt, do you really want to add anything to that? I think I might have muddled up my point a bit there, but. Um, I think you've done pretty well there in answering it. I think you've been fair. I think, uh, yeah, I think the, cha- I think the, <laughs> um, I think the change has been there for long enough in terms of like, I don't think they have, I think they've distanced themselves well enough from unionism and unionist ideas. And, you know, I think they've set out an identity for themselves. Cause I think that's what's really different. I do remember being, you know, 11, 12, whenever I, you know, I kind of got introduced to politics. I think there was an idea of like, what is an alliance? What the alliance believe? What are they? What do they do? Why are they here? Kind of, kind of approach. But I think now, yeah, they're, they're a lot different now. I think they, they offer something, they offer something which is understandable that is neither in terms of political ideology or political ideas or whatever way you want to say it, they offer something different from both, you know, kind of the, the nationalist and the unionist options, which I think is interesting. And I think means that maybe just writing them down as like a soft unionist party is maybe becoming a wee bit more unfair, possibly. 
Um, but yeah, I think it's a difficult question to answer, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I suppose kind of, I know we're, we're coming a bit short for time, but as well, one of the things, it's there's kind of two big possible radical changes kind of in the public conversation now. It's the idea of mandatory coalition possibly, you know, going out the window now that Alliance have kind of said we're in support of this. UUP are in support of it. The UUP are in support of it. And whereas nationalism is still kind of on the fence on it, do you think, you know, especially with this new alliance surge, as much as I hate calling it that, the alliance surge, do you think that's going to come about? Do you think we'll see that in the next election or the Ooh. next couple? I no, I don't, I, I don't think you could get rid of a mandatory coalition. It's only been, what, 20 odd years yeah. since a very fragile peace agreement. I look at other countries, like take Kosovo, for example, their peace agreement is even f- more fragile than ours. And, you know, th- they went through talks of having a single government because it's mostly run by Albanians. And it, for the Serb community, it is awful because you're never going to get any motion passed through, through their parliament. And I, I fear here, if you do that, we go into the sectarian headcount all over again. Alliance argued that it already is a sectarian headcount, but changes can be made. Yes, definitely. I'm all for updating the Good Friday Agreement. In my eyes, it is a living constitutional document for this part of the world. Um, we need to update it, definitely. And there's things that need to be changed of in it. But to get rid of mandatory coalition completely, I think is, I think it's too soon, honestly. I don't know if, if there is ever a right time for it. People will argue against me on that. And I would like to hear the arguments for it. Um, so I don't know. Matt, what do you what do you think there really? Uh, I think I agree. I think I, I mean I've written on the Good Friday Friday Agreement to put out my opinion that yeah, I think it's something that uh, while I don't I don't think that we're in a stage where we can just be like, let's start abandoning key parts of the Good Friday Agreement. I think we have to start looking at the alternatives to it. I think we need to start looking at the ways that we can change it slightly to hopefully better fit the current circumstances of Northern Irish politics. You know, things like a petition to concern clearly need addressed and they need addressed in a lot better ways than they currently are being. Whether that be that you need to have like an independent board who decide, is this actually a sectarian issue and stuff like that, maybe that could help. Um, but I don't think you can realistically at this moment get away mandatory coalition, but at the same time, changes can be made. I think there's options there. It's a, uh, uh, it's one where I do see the frustration because it's like, well, when do we get rid of this thing? What is the what is the long term time range that we have to wait, and when does it become acceptable? I, mean, I get I get Alliance's concerns about, you know, well, if we keep classifying ourselves as unionist and nationalist, and these are the two ideologies that will always hold power, how are we going to move beyond this? And I really do understand the concern there, yeah. but it's. <sighs> We're 20 years on and Stormont's collapsed how many times? You know, it, it's still... It, it, like, if you take the state of Northern Ireland, I think you sort of have to have its birth year really as 98. You know, it's we're still too young in this process and we still have a lot more to learn, especially when it comes to talking to each other and especially maybe dealing with this new other category because if they are pushed in a constitutional aspect, which way do they vote as well? It's... It is a sad, it's a sad part about politics here is that sadly, I think the heart of it will always be that constitutional question. 
as much as we can try to avoid it and like even on this site of beyond ni we try to avoid it at times but it's it's, it's i think it's sadly always going to be the undertone I suppose one other thing that I wanted to kind of ask you specifically with Beyond NI, is there a specific area of policy, you know, you know, specifically that you want to target and write about and discover and, you know, possibly make policy for? Is there is there one kind of area that you want to look at and possibly make change in or kind of just focus on? Um, I think we've got a... <clears throat> We do currently a plan or a, an idea of working on a loneliness strategy. And that's kind of something we see as very uh, interesting and uh, something that needs to be done. Like loneliness, uh, I mean, is a massive issue and coming out of lockdown, I think it's going to be a massive issue. I think people take too leading to a view on it because we're still in the middle of it. But I think after it, it's going to be where we really see kind of how loneliness is affecting people. Um, I think only recently one it, it got announced that one in four students in the UK, and I believe this includes Northern Ireland, or university students, uh, are either often or always lonely. That's like one in four, you know, university students. That's a that's a massive amount of people. So I think yeah, I think that's one which we have specifically. But then I think we do have other things like you know environmental issues we're very concerned about. And uh, uh, James, do you have any others which you're feeling? Infrastructure is sort of a big one for us as well. Yeah. Um, I would like to see better trains in this part of the world, north, south, east, west. The Boris Tunnel, I'm not a... Oh, I am a <laughs> fan of the, the idea, but I don't know how it could be executed. I'm not saying I, I'd support it, but I do like big infrastructure projects, and especially for rural areas here, internet connection yeah. is also very important. That sort of thing we're, we're really interested in. Um, I'm just trying... We've had some great guests, so... You know, getting more women involved in politics was a big one for us. Loved it. Maybe also talking slightly about the constitutional question in a non-sectarian, non-identity-driven non way, just facts and figures. So I think that is what we're really always going to be interested in. But good policy that helps everybody in the society is always what we're going to be pushing Absolutely. I think I'm going to hit you with the hardest question you've asked me Ooh. whenever I came on the show. Go so have you got any questions for me? <laughs> oh, jeez, oh, that's, that's a good one. Um, I think uh, probably one of the ones uh, I, I think is probably a good one would be just to shoot it back at you is like what's the kind of policy goals of, of Youth Voice, do you say, possibly? Oh, well... Uh... We're actually, well, I'm actually going to be setting up a working group to handle this. So this is my official announcement. Oof. But uh, we're hoping to ta tackle like educational inequality. Nice. So from, you know, looking at how grammar schools are unequal to non-grammars and how Catholic, you know, possibly the difference between Catholic, Protestant and non-denominational schools uh, are, or, and as well, regional inequality. So even not just the quality of schools and the different facilities available in different parts of the country, but also how do people, how do people get to school, whether it's, you know, does everyone need to get a bus or a taxi or how do you have to get in comparison with other parts of the country? So I suppose educational inequality and I mean, just policy is getting young people out there, getting 
our voices heard, I suppose, <laughs> and hopefully votes at 16, if I can yeah. lobby yes, enough yeah, people for it. It's brilliant. Go for it. I have I have one question for you. Uh, when are you replacing Nolan on the radio? Because I would get a <laughs> um, So I suppose the torpedo question that's about to shoot my career. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no set date yet. Uh, I'll have I'll have to ask the BBC about that one. But yeah, you never know. Maybe in twenty years' time. You never know. The Dermot Show. Dermot Show. Yes. Hamill Show. That's it. <laughs> there we go. So, uh, unless you have any more questions, uh, I think we'll wrap it up. That's good to me. Uh, well, so thank you both for coming on. Uh, you've both been brilliant. Great chat. Uh, to everyone listening, thank you for listening. You can read our blog at www.youthvoiceni.com. You can catch our Twitter at, at youthvoiceni and our Instagram at youthvoice underscore ni. For anyone who now as wants to get involved in the officially announced uh, working group on educational inequality, you can contact me on either of the two social medias or you can email me at dharma.youthvoiceni.com. I think that's the email. Uh, so thank you very much for listening. Thank you guys for coming on and we'll see you all next time.